talk show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next 30 minutes we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I just twiddled the wrong knobs then, do you notice? <laughs> That's a euphemism. Yeah, no, I just, well, I just put the wrong one. Um, anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm joined by my fellow presenter Jane Payton. She's one of the UK's leading experts on beer and cider. It was the first um, pommelier ever in the country. I was, you? I was. And you're a beer sommelier as well, which is like a an official person that knows everything about <laughs> beer apparently <laughs> and she's written loads of books on the subject we don't have beer today we have something we have probably the world's oldest drink yes we've it? got mead mm. now mead would make itself and our guest tom will explain that later i'm sure so without human intervention nature could actually make it which is why it's probably the oldest drink in in the world so as you said we are joined by tom gosnell of gosnell meadery Hi there. Didn't even know meadery was a word. We have to coin something, don't you? Yes, I found that out, uh, which is which is really good. I'm also joined by Mick Bisfam. God, I have trouble saying your name. No. Mick. Hi, how are you? You're, you're, you're not the first uh, by, by a long way. And and Mick knows everything about bees. I no no no. I, yes, I didn't know this. Oh yes, deny this completely. Yes, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm a beginner. Really. Okay, well you a beginner. Yes, yes. <laughs> we d- definitely know far more than we do. Um, and he is of North Downs bees. Um, so I'm going to give you some bee facts first, uh, Jane. Uh, bees have five eyes. But you never knew that, did you? I didn't know that. Where is the don't me. one? I don't know. And they have four wings. Wow. Not two. So when, when they fly, the two wings look like one wing, but they've actually got four wings. And they fly about 20 miles an hour. You That's thought they really just fast. bumbled along, but no, 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 they don't. That's so fast. The average hive produces about 11 kilos of honey during a season, and that's the equivalent of about 24 jars. And there are 20,000 species of bee that live around the world, and we generally have around about 250 in the UK. That is fascinating, because we all just think of bumbles or honeys or whatever. I just thought it was one type. Well, obviously not one, but it's like a, a few. And you get one queen, which I think we all know, hundreds of male drones, I haven't got a clue what they do, and thousands of female workers. It sounds like the world <laughs> of human beings, doesn't it? <laughs> Being a bit controversial there. And that makes up a single average honeybee hive. Now, North Downs Bees, they are a small family business producing honey and honeybees for sale. So, Jane, if you fancy buying honeybees, you could. You go over to Mick and he'll, he'll give you some... I'm not sure how that works, but we're going to ask in a minute. And they have around 100 hives kept at selected sites within 10 miles of each other. 10 miles of Canterbury. I don't even know where to start. I have so many questions to make. I just don't know no, where well, to start. Throw something at me and so, okay. hopefully we'll so, get So explain, explain to me about a hive. <clears throat> so, so you, you know, you've got, you've got this queen, you've got these male drones, you've got these, these female workers. Um, is there this sort of 
hierarchy, everybody knows what they're doing. Is that how it works inside a beehive? It's not just this buzzing mass of insects that don't know what they're doing. I think it's a little bit of both, quite honestly. Right. There, there is apparently a, a, um, a hierarchy, not, not exactly a hierarchy, there's a development. When bees um, first hatch as, as young bees, they, they start their lives as nurse bees, uh, and they have particular jobs to clean the cell. Um, and to attend to the queen and, and that sort of thing. And as they develop, their, their jobs change and they end up as worker bees, which are the ones that fly out to, to the plants. So, so what does, will you say, attend to the queen? <coughs> what, what, what does the queen, that mean? So the, is the, well, is I the think queen a big one? The queen is bigger. She's yeah. larger. She's, she's quite distinctive. There's a, a need to pass the queen's pheromones onto the, to the rest of the hive. And I think that's the beginning of that process. So they, they, they come into contact with the queen. Um, I think they groom her, um, they feed her. It sounds like our queen, um, ladies in waiting. And, the, and I think they, they, I think <laughs> they, like nudge, they nudge her a little bit to where she needs to go and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, so she literally gets waited it's, on. It's a bit of a mystery. Oh, I was just going to say, how is the queen decided upon? Yeah, I was going to say. Could that. she be any of those female bees no. and they she, decide no, she's no, the one? No, the, the, the way it works is that the queen lays eggs and the eggs hatch into little grubs. Now, if they're denied particular nutrients, they become imperfect females, and 99.9% .9 of them do. But they will feed the queen royal jelly, which is, which is a complete nutrient. She's fed differently, and the bees recognise that there's a, a queen-making process going on. She grows larger. They make her a special cell. Um, and when she hatches, she's a young, she's a young virgin queen. So that's the just, way it works. I, find it, I just find it fascinating mm. so, so if i see a bee going around my garden and then all of a sudden you know it goes into a little hole and i, I know it's one of those bees that's deciding where they should all live oh. and then they go and like search it out and then you think well how do you decide where to have a hive and then how do they build a hive that's not man-made one like you would have well you need to, you need to make a distinction first between honeybees and all the other bees, oh, okay. honeybees, honeybees are very different. Yeah. So honeybees are the only ones that, that, that live together in this huge social group. And when you see honeybees looking for, uh, looking for a new place to live, as you do, they'll be sniffing around holes at, at particular times of year, early summer is, or late spring is, is very common. Um, and yes, they'll, they'll go off and bring back some of their... So some of their, their, their hive mates, some other ones. Go, come and, and look at this. Come and look at this. And this will be this will be a time when the, the, the hive is preparing to swarm. It's already got some more queens underway. It's all geared up, ready to divide into two. So that's so that's what happens then. So so, you know, it goes through a, a year, say, or, or I don't know, a season, and and then and, and they're making another queen, you know, um, and and then it's like, well, we need to move out of here, guys, because there's a, there's a, there's another part of the family, if you like, that then has to go somewhere. So then they just swarm. It's not a yearly thing. I mean, some years they'll do it many times. Ah. A, a young queen often won't swarm away for for two or three years. Um, and, it, and it varies between you know between individuals. It's it's reproduction. It's you know it's what all of us have to do. We all have to make more of ourselves. Split and, and, and to, to swarm the next iteration and and yeah. find somewhere else to live is the is the way the bees go about it. Amazing. And when you see them flying in that swarm, well, people get scared, don't they? They do, but they're actually very harmless in mm. that in that in that situation. If you stand still, you can let them fly among you, and you're you're fine. See, I actually, they scare me a little bit. Well, I think they scare everybody, and that's healthy. 
Is it? Oh yeah. Okay. I love them. <laughs> I love them. You know, and I want to well, it protect. Does, it hurts. When they went, but I, but, well, I've never been stung by me, fortunately. But but it does worry it. me a little. Yeah. I mean, they don't. They're not. They're not. I mean, they don't intend to sting you, do they? They. they, they sometimes they do. Sometimes oh, they do. If they if they if they think they if they think they're you think they're after their honey, then right. you know so you, you you do your best to convince them that you're not after their honey okay. in, the, in the big picture. So then how do they make honey? What, what is honey? Honey is nectar. They collect nectar, which is uh, um, it's a very dilute sugar solution, which plants secrete, flowers secrete. So when you see them popping from plant to plant, they're actually... They're collecting a tiny, it, tiny drop of nectar. All right. So that and that's a sugary they're solution. They're collecting it all. Yeah. And, and then they take it back to the hive. They take what, it back to the what, hive. Or spit it out. Pop it in a cell. Well, it's not really spitting because well, you know, it hasn't I mean, yeah, been swallowed. It's been carried in a special okay. place, a honey sack. So, but, but yes, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think while it's been in the honey sack, enzymes have started working on it. There are some magical, Stuff mysterious happening. Yep. happening yeah. Uh, and, and then it goes into the cell and it sort of piles up. And it's very, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it needs drying at that stage, so they they, they fan the whole thing and blow air over it. Oh, what do they do it. with that? They do, um, do they just use that to feed the queen? Or, or, no, 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 no. Or, that's that's their winter food. Um, so they're, they're they're, they're, these are magical beasts. So they've got this it. wonderful trick. Let me tell you their wonderful trick. They they go through the winter as a little tiny colony, so it's not eating very much. A little a little ball the size of a grapefruit, let's say. And in the in the in the springtime, the queen starts laying, and they build up and they build up to the size of a, a football. Now that football goes out and collects honey. There's, you know, and because there's so many, they can collect an awful lot, much, much more than they need, and they store it. That's their energy store. And that they actually eat that. And well, they store it. Now, in the come autumn, they shrink right back to a little ball again. So now they've got loads and loads of honey, but not many bees to feed. And I think that's a wonderful trick. Um, Come springtime, if they've got lots of honey, they will be able to swarm very, very successfully because half the bees will go off with lots of honey, which they need to make new comb. Making new comb is very energy intensive. Um, so what? they'll carry a lot of honey away to make a new nest with new honeycomb. So, so what is comb then? Is, is comb the cells that you're talking about? That yes, they yeah, honey, honeycomb is... The, is is there it, how? It's everything, yeah. It's, it's, it's these sort of plates which you've seen. Most people know what it looks like. Yeah. Is yeah. that why it's the shape it is, a honey And jar, All it, all it is is these hexagonal is. cells, very, very closely built together oh. out, of, out of wax that the bees secrete from a special gland. Um, they stick it together. But as I say, it's expensive to make, and so they, they, they have to be very careful to take enough with them to get themselves started off. Um, it's fascinating that they don't get just sticky with honey because we get sticky yes. by just looking at it. <laughs> so how you try come bees with don't? <laughs> yes, but bees don't yeah. get sticky with it. So no, why? No, well, they're very good at cleaning each other, I think, and they do get sticky with it sometimes. Do they? Yeah, they have accidents. Oh, yeah. Wow. So I'm just tasting some of mixed North Downs honey here. You can imagine in centuries ago, people coming across this uh, at a time where... where Sweet wasn't something that you ever came across. Very, very rarely. You know, it had fruit, but it wouldn't be like this. You know, and somebody would, I don't know how they decided, put their finger in that and taste that. It's, a, wow, mm. it's sweet. You can imagine it. People going, what is that? Right, we'll get some more. And I mean, taste it, Joan. It's risking everything to get, to it, get it. Because there would be a stung to bits by the bees, wouldn't they? Probably. But it was worth it because it was that so That is sweet. gorgeous. So, so what's the difference between the set... 
honey, you know, which always looks sort of beigey colour, and and this beautiful golden, delicious goo. Mm. The the, the runny honey, people tend to call it. Yeah, Um, the difference between the runny honey and... The only difference is that this is set, it's crystallised. It just makes my head explode a, a little bit. It does. Because it's um, amazing. Yeah. It's just incredible yeah. natural thing. It, yeah. It's just, it's just yeah. incredible. It's a, it's a wonderful window, I think, onto, onto nature, onto evolution, onto the way energy is so central to, to life. And I love the fact that none of us actually really know what goes on. Not really. No, even no. Now, yeah. Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Amazing. a camera in a hive wouldn't tell the full story, would it? No. God knows. No, 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 no. It's still there are mysteries in mm. there. So, so Tom, do you, do you have connection with bee, beekeepers? And yeah, You're so based do. in London, aren't We're you? We're based in Peckham in South East London, yeah. yeah. So we um, have lots of different beekeepers we use for, for different um, kind of honeys and then make different kind of meads out of them. Um, we, obviously, as you know, Mick, I'm not going to teach you to suck eggs yet, but depending on what the bees have been eating, you get different flavours in the honey. And then once you ferment that, you're stripping away some of the sweetness, so those flavours get a bit amplified. So you get a really different kind of flavour profile from different honeys. Because sometimes you get that sort of lavender... Uh, so it's it's not something that's been added. It's just just that's where what where the bees have been and exactly, that's where they've collected because they're nectar. collecting the nectar and there's other things in the nectar. It's not all just sort of sugar syrup. There's you know other flavors from that plant. Mm. One of my favorites is particularly for making mead is borage honey. You get this kind of spicy. It's quite light, but it's a sort of spicy flavor that comes through, uh, which is really exciting. So mead uh, is an alcoholic beverage created by fermenting honey with water. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and but sometimes there there might be fruit or spices or grains or hops. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of um, it's a very old drink as you alluded to, but it's yeah. also quite new in that there's it's, it's been a bit in a bit of a, a lull probably for a couple of centuries, and it's kind of having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. So there's lots of people like us, and particularly in the US, doing lots of different things with it by adding fruits or herbs or spices or, or hops in like you would case. with beer or something like yeah exactly yeah. you just get some a different range of flavors and maybe bring the honey out a bit more so so jane the word mead for me it conjures up these images of carousing vikings or drunken medieval revelers <laughs> uh, um but it is considered uh, quite good for your health really uh, and fertility and longevity mm. um and it, w- it was called the so-called nectar of the gods and, and it is having a, a little bit of a revival isn't it Yes, definitely. And people like Tom have been absolutely at the forefront of that, making it into this, I'll use that word craft, but it fits into the craft beer, craft cider, craft credentials of alcohol at the moment. But yet it's this ancient drink. But as Tom said, he's putting a modern spin on it. And if you looked at the packaging of Tom's drinks there we've got cans here but he's also got champagne sized bottle meads as well which is what i think of with mead so almost like a flagon actually i'd almost imagine I, i'm really quite shocked tom that you've turned up and we've got mead in cans so there's nothing wrong with that but it's like oh wow that's not what yeah, I expected. So I think we're trying to do a few different things so we're, we're trying to bring mead back to a bigger audience and one of the things is to make it a bit more accessible so they're in cans. They're a little bit lighter than traditional meads. So they're the, most of our session meads. We've just got them more like 4%. Session mead, excellent. As opposed to sort of 12 or 15, which is some of our stronger stuff. Um, so, you know, we, we generally use the stronger meads to make uh, single varietal or single origin honeys into meads and tell a real story with I mean, that. That's wine strength. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's the same kind of terroir you'd get out of grapes as you get out of the honey, and that's sure. the kind of the story we're liking, liking to tell at that level. This is a bit more accessible, a bit more approachable, maybe have a pint of this, 
in a pub on a Friday night. That's that's where we're going with the sort of lower ABV stuff. So, so Jane, you did say it was the oldest drink in the world, or I said that to start with, but but, but it, it truly is, isn't it? Yes. Honey would have been very widely available. It didn't need to be grown, so you didn't need to grow grapes or grow barley. It was just their nature was giving it to you. And if it was diluted, the honey, then it would naturally ferment, wouldn't it, Tom? Yeah, exactly. You've got a lot of wild yeast in the honey. Right. So, Tom, what what should we taste? I'd be very interested to see what you think of this, Mick, actually. So, so what should we start with that you've, you've bought with you? So I think we, well, I mean, we'll start with one of our smaller batch ones, which is uh, a British honey with golden honey. Um, it's five and a half percent. It's honey, water, and yeast, so we're keeping it pretty simple here. Five percent, quite a low uh, alcohol mm. thing for uh, a mead. Yeah, for a mead, but but about the same as a decent beer. Yeah, you know, a, a, you know, a, a pub beer would be between four and six percent probably. Yeah. So this is just right in the middle, and you brew mead don't you tom so i mean people talk about oh yes cider breweries no it's you press cider you don't boil it but you brew mead could you just yeah so, so essentially what we're doing is we're, we're we're adding more water back to the honey to make it make it a sticky liquid and then we're pitching in a yeast as you would do so it's a bit like when you're making beer warts but out of honey and then um yeah you're pitching in a yeast really that fun. is nowhere near as sweet as i thought it would be uh, it's really nice and I, I can't I, even say it's like something else. No, it's a thing of its own. On its own. Because I say this a lot to people who go, don't like honey. I say, well, just give me to try because it isn't particularly honeyish. It's not sweet, especially if it's Tom that, that's making it. Mick, what do you think of that? It's gorgeous. It's, it's a delicate flavour, isn't it? Very. It, it's still sweet to me. You, you, do, do you arrest the uh, the fermentation? Yeah, we yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, about two thirds of the way through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, the, the residual sweetness is honey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all, yeah. So all the sweetness in that comes yeah. from the honey. Yeah. There's nothing Actually, else can I have Oh, and the, and the touch uh, of the Tom, I really enjoyed yeah. that. I mean, we've got some others to try as well, so you know. Yeah, I do know that. <laughs> Tell us about the next one. We've got some sparkles. So, so the other two are um, more of our core range, and so um, these are kind of what you would see in a in a shop or a, a sort of they're, they're kind of our everyday ones. The first ones are hops mead. So where we are in southeast London is full of breweries, um, and so we we decided to make a hops mead. So it gives it a bit more bitterness. It's Dry hop, so it's kind of not too much business, but kind of quite light and floral. Um, and then we've also got a hibiscus mead, which is our only pink mead, which is made with hibiscus flowers, and that gives it a nice sort of juicy, fruity flavour. So, so Jane, talk us through this. So this is mead, but it's got hops. It had hops added to it. You can smell them, actually, when you put your nose there. Mm. So there's a bit of aromatic, bit of lemon maybe there. Is that is that alcoholic? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's got it's four yeah. percent alcohol. No, no, four percent. Okay, it's, yeah, it's, it's on the lighter side, but it's it's still alcohol. Like it's also very delicate, isn't it? So there's hops in there, but it's not a hop that you would think, oh, that's beery, because we associate hops with beer. That's just adding a, another layer of flavour and aromatics to it, and a tiny little bit of bitterness. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm trying to think about what it's like, but it isn't. I think it's, it is somewhat cidery. It's kind of how I try and yeah. describe it. But imagine. And just really gentle sparkle as mm. well, that gentle carbonation. Mm. It's beautifully balanced, I think. It's, it's, there's that little bit of everything in there. It's lovely, isn't it? I think it'd be very dangerous to drink. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, but it, you've got it these would lull you it's like into a false made, sense of security, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And this one's hibiscus. The next one's hibiscus. Yeah. yeah, of course. This and, is my personal favourite. Uh, um, it's and, and why hibiscus, Tom? Uh, so we actually made this for some Singaporean customers of ours who were doing a beer festival out there, and it's quite a local flavour. So they they suggested it, and we we went away and had a play, and and this is what we came up with. Well, it looks like it's the colour of red wine, isn't it? Uh, yes. Tizer. Looks <laughs> like Tizer. It's sparkled. It's got what's is it? Lambrusco. That's the sparkly red wine. Don't mention that word on this program. So you get kind of the juiciness mm. coming through, but then it's got the the tannin structure from the hibiscus, so it's mm. a bit dry on the back of the palate. Mm. You do get an awful lot of fruitiness there, slightly raspberryish, mm. and yes, the tannins. So a bit of a textural to it as well. I really and, like uh, those, Tom. Mm. Oh, that's good. Mm. Mm. It would be really fun to do these blind tasted with people and go, just taste that. What is that? What is that? I do that with perry, actually, especially sparkling perry, mm. champagne method perry. And you'll serve it as the people hear the pop of the bottle and then you give it to them in a glass that you would serve champagne and you let them taste it and go, what is that? Mm. And they'll go... And they haven't a clue. They think it's sparkling wine because they've heard the pop. Yeah. See the bubbles. Mm. So Just make that one. assumption. Mm. Did you know it's uh, long been rumoured to be an aphrodisiac? I did know that, actually. Yeah, get some more down here, Jane. <laughs> See what happens on the train <laughs> on the way home to Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I might, no, I'll, I'll get off at Hampden Park to change the trains and might <laughs> just go to the local pub and <laughs> see, see what happens. happens. Yeah, so yeah. Might not get back to Brighton. Yeah. So how's how's it actually going, Tom? Because because mead is not something you would normally see. So so you're having to almost create a category, actually. Yeah. To get I, so we, I've been doing this since 2014 was when we set up the business. So we've been going a little while now, and I think we are we are finally getting into our stride. So I think now when we're talking to people, they understand. I think sustainability, honey pollinators are way up the agenda, which always helps. But also, I think supermarkets and other kind of buyers are looking for new things. So craft beer is has is a massive thing, but is is established. So so what is coming through next? And I think for us, packaging it in kind of a more cider-like way and slotting alongside potentially the fruit ciders and that kind of aspect of things is uh, is serving us really well. And so um, yeah, going going particularly well this year, I think, as we've come out of sort of covid and stuff it is quite difficult though to sell i would say jane because because you're having to explain something that people have got misconceptions about or, or preconceptions mm. of, of this sort of henry the eighth flag and viking sort of definitely that ye olde england and yeah. they're making this assumption it's going to be sweet because they may have had your castle gift shop <laughs> pint as you describe it yeah um so it is a hard sell actually but once you if you are talking to people who are open to new experiences they're likely to go for it and you've got your tap room haven't you tom yeah so, so we just we just moved actually into um, it's, it's very big for us and that everyone's got their own desk now so that's mm. really exciting and rooms <laughs> no are great you've got two railway arches now in peckham um, one of which is, is going to be the production and then the other one's going to be the tap room. So um, that's a really good way to educate people and have them down and just have a, a nice kind of education piece around mead. And then when you say that you responsibly source, um, what, what does that mean in terms of getting the right honey? So I think it starts off by making sure we're making everything out of honey as a first step and not, you know, not augmenting it with sugar, sugar or anything yeah. else to just bump it up. Um, the other thing we've been doing is it's a really interesting government group called the Honey Monitoring Scheme. Have you heard of them, Mac? I haven't, no. Uh, so they um, they do a survey every year where they take samples of different beekeepers' honeys, 
to see, and then they analyze them under the microscope to ah, see yes, health, done, health done pollinators. Yes, they've done this with mine, yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, so they're doing a, the next step yeah. of that is to DNA test the honey, and they're de yeah. developing this new method to DNA test the honey. So you can, instead of having to look at it under a microscope, which is very laborious, you just pass it through a lab test, and then they can say, right, well, it's definitely honey, and these are the plants that the bees have been eating. So we're kind of trying to help or yeah, get that in place as well, so that will provide another bit of audit, um, just so that we make sure, because... So if you read lots about honey, there's a lot of honey fraud out there in the world. There's, um, you know, we particularly are very keen to only source what well, was in the EU from the EU. So there's a lot higher standards there than potentially worldwide. Um, but it's, it's a constant, it's constantly evolving thing that we're trying to get better at. I think. And, and Mick, there are different ways of keeping bees, aren't there? And you've got a particular, you know, process that you're very keen on. I set out. Uh, well, a long time ago, actually, but I was unsuccessful for a long time. It was a part-time thing. Um, but I wanted to try to to uh, enable bees to discover their own defences against this new mite, for the, the varroa mite, which has caused so much difficulty. Is, is um, that, does that, that's bringing the population down? That's Well, it, it devastated the population yeah, when yeah. it first arrived um, about th nearly 30 years ago. And what, has, what happened, of course, was that beekeepers found uh, ways of medicating bees to to, um, to to kill the mites and, and a bit like treat. a pandemic really <laughs> it's, it's problematic it's addictive <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and also it's not good for the local bee the wild bee population because the the um, the treated bees aren't developing uh, any resistance um, they mate with wild bees it's an open mating scenario and and then no because nobody's treating the wild bees of course they're dying too well, then they're not. They, they were dying in the beginning, but they're not. But it, it inhibits the, the development of resistance. And most people have always maintained that. Well, the development of resistance will take a long, long time. Actually, it doesn't. It's very, very quick. Um, and so we set up a um, um, an experiment, and it's been successful. And our bees aren't treated at all, um, and they're not sort of interfered with anyway. We just. You live there. We keep our Completely eye on natural. you, yeah. and um, and we give you a bit of space and this sort of thing. We try and give them a, an environment Calm. identical, really, yeah. to the one that they would have in in the wild. Um, yeah, and it, and it seems to work, mm. which I'm really pleased about. So, so again, Tom, what you're doing is is you know you're you're making it really authentic. Uh, you know, looking at that supply chain, uh, so that you're proud of the the stuff that you. You've yeah, used. and I think it also helps in that in terms of selling it, in terms of having a story where you can sort of talk about where the honey's come from, why it's important. I mean, one of our products for Christmas is a set of four meads from four different beekeepers with this, exactly the same recipe, but just a different honey. So you can kind of explore yourself mm. what different flavors are, um, and I think that. I think for us, it's making that link between what's in the drink and where it's come from, and that natural link. Um, that's really exciting, and people really enjoy that and engage with it. Yeah. Fantastic. So I think I think the the thing for me is definitely if you're going to have honey, why would you not have local honey? Uh, it reflects the the environment, the countryside uh, around you. Um, and you should try mead if you haven't tried mead. What what you should be giving it a go? Absolutely, I'm with you on that. And a meadery like Gosnell's, which is doing really inventive and experimental things, just to taste the difference of what different ingredients bring to the mead and different production methods. Hmm. So we'll be we'll be giving uh, links to Gosnell's Meadery 
uh, if you want to explore that. And I presume people can get your stuff online. They can, yeah. yeah, yeah. Excellent. Be the best way. And Mick, all your stuff is sold locally. I've seen it in lots of different farm shops yes. and, and, and independents. Um, but I would say you, you should be looking out for your local. There's loads of amazing beekeepers aren't there everywhere who are yes. selling their own honey oh, locally so, so you know so just check it out don't go and get whatever it is uh, it's mass produced um, everywhere uh, across the whole of the country there'll, there'll be amazing local beekeepers won't they making yeah. stuff yeah so it's okay for that it tasted absolutely delicious oh, it's incredible yeah absolutely. i love the fact that it it is food from the fields and the hills and the woods and it's there in your jar Na- of nature's honey. oldest mm-hmm sugary treat um so you've been listening to the food talk show thank you so much jane that was really interesting wasn't it Hardly oh fascinating just, yeah amazing uh, the bee thing was just incredible um we're syndicated to radio stations across the uk and further afield as well as being available on audible spotify podbean itunes and the podcast app on your phone thank you so much to my fellow presenter jane lovely to be Hayton. here again also tom gosnell of gosnell's Media and mick bisfam can't say that word of Northdown Bees. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Thank you. For thanks very much. <laughs> um, and uh, if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts going back years and years and years on topics from snail farming to gin making, go to foodtalk.co.uk. Meanwhile, have a good week. Bye bye.